a big chocolate fan. So. I don't love yeah. chocolate either. Yeah. I don't understand you people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a podcast all about wellness, food, lifestyle. And our relationship. And us. And... <laughs> Our producer, Lindsay Collins, made cookies today. And I've already eaten two. And they're Snickerdoodle, which up until this moment in time. Is on the standard cookie list. And I didn't understand why. And you know what? After I just downed two cookies, I'm all right with Snickerdoodle. And I do have to admit that I've been thinking about this the last Oh my God, you have to tell the people what you said before the microphones are on. I... And, and, I, and can you explain the body language that you took on as you were expressing yeah, this of, lament? I kind of put my hand on my forehead and I lean to the side and I say, guys, I have to admit something. Oatmeal raisin. No, no, no. There was no preface. You just said it. Oh, I just said it. Okay. Let me reenact it then. It was just, you know, hand on head, lean to the side. Oatmeal raisin really might be a trash cookie. There was no mic. I know, but now the microphones are on and I can't make as bold of a statement. <laughs> this is so not... So you can make bold statements when you're telling people they're wrong about cookies. But when I'm but saying I'm wrong about cookies... you gotta soften the blow about when you're admitting what, that we have been right all No, no, no. no, no. Let, let, let me just really clarify my position on this. I love oatmeal raisin cookies. And they are number one in my heart and on my list. But I have enough evidence at this point when I go into a bakery and they're sold out of all cookies but oatmeal raisin, and when I go to numerous meetings at ESPN, meetings that have plates of cookies, and the only cookies left at the end of the meeting are oatmeal raisin cookies, and everywhere I go, there are all these signs that people don't love oatmeal raisin cookies. And part of it might be that they're not sophisticated enough to understand it. evidence. Can you imagine? It's kind of like Homeland. We have a secret room in our house, and she's Claire Danes with, like, a big wall with a string connecting everything. Nobody actually makes those walls, And the center of it is with a big X over the oatmeal cookie. That's not at all what happened here. I'm just admitting that society has reinforced to me that the oatmeal raisin cookie is not top of mind for other people the way it is for me. And I'm okay with that because I'm not the person who wants to love the superstar player or love the blockbuster movie. I love Little Miss Sunshine. That's number one in my list behind Home Alone, but like really high up there. You so anyway, I know we have a show to do. Went, okay. We have a show to do, but I just had to get that off. My chest. And I feel better now. I feel better admitting that. Do you need to take three deep breaths? No, I'm good. Let's rock and roll, baby. All right. So. On the show today. We actually have (laughs) quite an impressive guest visiting us today. You may have heard of her. Her name is Misty Copeland. Misty Copeland is a ballerina. Yes. And the way, I mean, because I, ballet is not my, like, forte, But most people out there will recognize her, if not her name, they're going to recognize her from that viral Under Armour commercial from three years ago that launched the I Will What I Want campaign for Under Armour. Correct. And it's going to be really exciting to hear from her today because she opens up at the end of our interview about a really fascinating um, kind of those little things that get under your skin and prevent you from getting into the headspace. Yeah. Uh, into the zone that and you stuck need to in be your mind that you ruminate on, like, and every time you have to execute something like this, you always get panicky about it. And at the end of the show today, this is worth sticking <laughs> around for everybody. If you're one of those first and segment, first and second segment people, and you don't stick around for the third segment, well, in my hands right now is Catherine Budig's diary from age eight to age thirteen, <laughs> and she doesn't. She knows I have the diary, and she approved 
me having the diary and me sitting in front of a microphone holding the diary, she doesn't know what entries I'm going to read to her. And I'm, I'm assuming that she hasn't read these entries since she was a kid. So we're going to go through those together as a big, happy family. And you really want to stick around for that. And speaking of revealing the true nature of humans, something that I really wanted to incorporate into season two, uh, it's called the Prost Questionnaire. If you read Vanity Fair or maybe you've seen, they make these really cool videos where they'll interview Sarah Jessica Parker or someone famous and they just rattle off. It's something like 86 questions or I could tell you exactly. But um, they're supposed to get to the true nature of who someone is. And it's devised, uh, well, it wasn't devised by Marcel Prost. It was actually popularized. And don't you think that even saying the name Marcel Prost makes us seem really smart and sophisticated? And the fact that we're using a questionnaire based on, I'm assuming he's French. (laughs) Isn't he French? Marcel Prost. Doesn't that sound French to everybody? French essayist. French essayist. I mean, honestly... How smart are we that this is a questionnaire that we want to bring up and that we want to employ? Well, today? I don't know, Kate. I think once we ask you a couple of the questions, we'll truly we'll see. know exactly how. So smart we're going to play are. this game. We're going to play the the Proust questionnaire game. We were each charged with bringing two questions from the questionnaire that we wanted the other person to answer. But I have picked out three because Why? a you maybe picked the same question as me. Because you're a rule breaker. And b I don't know if I'm going to like your answers. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here's the one I first picked for you. Okay. This is question 14 on the Marcel Proust questionnaire. I don't know. Is that, was that French? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> I don't know what it was. All right. Which words or phrases do you most See, that was overuse. one of the ones I was going to ask you. All right, cool. Well, then let's both answer it. You answer it first, though. Which words or phrases do you most overuse? Does, this, is a, this is such a lesson in how self-aware you, we are. Okay. Collectively. Do, does um and like count? No, of count? course not. Of course not. I try to be very conscious of that. It's tricky. Okay, so no um, no like. Yeah, and I, I have one that you always use. Wildly? Okay, that's one of them. Actually, we could probably keep going. But I have a phrase that you, uh, that you always use. I do? Yeah, but first I want to know. Do I get it? Give me a clue. No, no, no. I want to. This what is emotion? A, this is a, the, the, the post questionnaire isn't what other people think of you. It's what you think of yourself. No, <laughs> no. Pro, like, like nouns, pasta. pronouns aren't going to be pronouns. pronouns. No, of course not. Word, what is the word that I most overuse? Or phrase. Or phrase. I'm hungry. No. <laughs> See, okay, so here's the one that you use all the time. And I've actually flagged this for you before. You, you're, you're, Tell me. Okay. I'm dying over here. That being said, comma, you use that all the time. It's like a transition that you employ. And it's... Wait. I say it all the time? You say it a lot. Like how many times a day? Um, it depends how often we're really getting into it, how often we're really, because you use it when we're having a conversation and we're really like trying to deconstruct either social. Well, I think social- that says a lot about my true nature and that I am willing to see the sides of both coin. Of, oh, that's of, true. Of, Man, so you're one of those of people one coin. who takes <laughs> any sort of negative and spins it into a positive. Is it negative that I say that a lot? Well, I think... Is re- that your interpretation? No, I think repeating... Of my overused phrase? No, well, I do think that this is a problem that's happening, actually, societally, is that we have a lot of phrases right now and words that we're employing to the point where we are robbing the phrase of its meaning. It becomes unnecessary, really. Like, of co- that being said, like, of course that was said. Like, you don't enjoy the phrase at the end of the day. No, it's all part and parcel of... These phrases that are, in essence, just ticks that we use. Yeah, like, I mean, 
That being said, it really is just spinning your wheels. Like, yes, you said that. We heard you say that. To set it up now to say that being said, like, it's just an empty transition. And so I do think that, like, I actually do I think... I don't agree that it's an empty transition because that being said, to me, insinuates it's a pivot. that there's more to be said. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's a pivot. It's a, it's a transition pivot. I just think that you... See, this is, I just think you use it a lot. Okay. That's all. All right. Um, so here's one that I think I use a lot, or do you have one that you think I use a lot? Oh, oh, Words gosh. or phrases that I use a lot. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> I do say dope a lot. You do say dope a lot. And I say dope to let people know that I'm still cool. That you're a basketball player. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's all part of a culture that I'm trying to like cling to. Of course, when I was in like my early twenties and I was playing hoops, like I was just like, in that culture. And now I use dope to sort of like, like a, a balloon that's floating away to like cling to my old basketball right. heritage. Wait, I don't think it's fair that you're asking me what you say a lot because well, you need to, no, no, you I, need I, to I now say. guess what you say a lot. Oh no. I, I, there are a lot of things I do say a lot. Oh then please share. I think I say the word space too often and not just like in the way that I'm using space. Like what a beautiful space you have. No, it's more when I can't think of a better description of, really almost something nebulous. Like, I'm like, we're in this strange space in our society. It's, I use it like that. I think you think about words in a very unique way because you are A, in the sports world, and B, on TV. And within your world, apparently, and I'm sure this is the same within the wellness world, I have words that are overused there as well. There are certain words that to you trigger you faster yeah. because you hear them all the time through ESPN or through sports lingo. Well, it's funny you even said the word triggering. I know you don't like the word trigger. I just think that the point of words is to clearly communicate with as many people as you can. Obviously, if it's one person and you're in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, that's See, your only goal. a very visceral word for me. But if you are trying to communicate in any way, in a mass way, I think the word trigger really shuts down a lot of people out there. They think of the word triggering as this snowflake word, as this, you know, quote unquote snowflake. Like, oh, snowflakes use the word triggering. They get triggered. They get triggered by, I, I, and it's all part of this political conversation. And do I agree with the people who get triggered by the word triggering? No, but I want my, I, but I want my language. You just to use the word trigger to describe, describe trigger. Yeah, I know, but that's because uh, that I would say that I'm being lazy there, where I could come up with a new way to say, like, people who are affected by certain words. I mean, right? Like, you have to come up with more precise language, because I do think words like triggering, words like privilege, there are certain words that we're using all of the time right now, and I think they shut down the brains of a lot of people listening. All right, Kate, give the people a better word to use in trigger. No, not you can't put me on the spot like Do that. It, I want them you, to think you I'm can't smart have and I don't such have strong one. thoughts and not have a replacement. Well, give me some time and I'll come up with a replacement. But you you can't you can't just have me okay. come up with it right. right away. We'll see by segment three if Kate has a replacement for trigger. Okay. All right, Kate. So my question for you is what talent would you most like to have that you do not already possess? I would love and we're not talking supernatural talents, right? This is like a human There's talent no that exists. There's no parameters here. This is well, so I'm going to pick one that I could possess, and that trait is singing. I wish I was musically inclined. Okay. I, I don't even need to be a fabulous singer, but I don't... I really, truly believe that I'm tone deaf. It's not like a throwaway... 
phrase that I want to get a laugh. Like, oh, I'm tone deaf. Like, right. I actually think I'm tone deaf. I actually don't understand, and I know a lot of people don't understand how to read music. I, I took piano lessons for about three months when I was like 20. I mean, old enough that I should have learned something. And I can't sing at all. And there's certain songs that I can sing that I think I can sing. And one of them is a Shania Twain song. But you know, everybody has one song that oh, if they're I've, non-singers. I've heard you sing that song. <laughs> Am I good at singing it? I know what the song is when you sing it. <laughs> See, exactly. Like, that's my standard is if I can sing it and someone else recognizes it as the intended it's a step song. In the correct direction. Yes. <laughs> so I would love to just be able to be in my car and like that moment when you feel like you're hitting the notes and like have the right gear shifts. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So that being said, that being said, let's get to a different space. Okay. What is the <laughs> what is the trait, Catherine Budig, you most deplore in yourself? Deplorables. Okay. Don't worry, producer well, Lindsay I, can edit out your pause. I, well, no, I, the reason that I'm pausing is because, it, it, you know when you have really, really random memories pop up in your mind? I only say that because I was getting rolfed today, and I know the word rolf may not resonate. Rolfing is basically a structural integration work that I'm doing. It's a body worker. It's like a massage except from it's hell. really painful. Okay. Uh, but it's very effective, and I love my rolf worker. Thank you, thank you. Um, but the point is, I think sometimes when I'm having body work done, uh, he actually made a really interesting point. I swear I'm getting to why I'm deplorable, but... <laughs> I didn't ask if you were deplorable. <laughs> right? uh, he was saying that there's two different kinds of pain because I was wondering, you know, what's muscular pain versus what's fascia pain? And he said one is connected to um, emotional pain and then one is actual muscular pain. And I just say that, I think it's fascinating because when you're having that kind of body work done, it, it can bring up interesting emotions. And so today I... This is, I had a really deplorable memory of myself when I was on a trip. I was much younger and I used to not, <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking about this right now. I have no idea um, what's going to happen here. I used to not be very respectful of other people's relationships. So if I was, I had a crush on someone and they were in a relationship with someone else, I didn't always really care about that because I was incredibly selfish and when I liked someone I liked someone and it was not unusual for me to just go after someone this is seriously deplorable I, I have since changed um but <laughs> this is awful just for our listeners your hands are over your heart right now you actually you actually look like you're being as real as possible about the, this well, like, without you didn't pick too your, many details because you didn't pick your third most deplorable trait I feel like you picked no your I went first. big I went big it was okay. like it's, don't take this sip of that seltzer I'm going to do what I want, All right. just not with other humans' partners. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough about that. No, no, I thought there was more. There was more. No, I think that's enough sharing on that topic, just that I w did very, very selfish things. But you started with, I was on this trip. No, 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 no. You don't, that, I don't need to talk about any details except for that I... Was it a cruise? I, it, no, it wasn't a cruise. Because then you're all trapped We were on locked a on a trip. Yeah, it's like, oh, you can't reach your partner, can you? No <laughs> cell reception. <laughs> what happens on a boat stays on a boat. Uh, no, no, but I think about, you know, the, the partner of that person. I don't even know if they're still together and how that person would have every single right to hate my guts. And, and I would never want someone to do that to me. And yet I was just at such a selfish place in my life where I thought if I like you and you like me, it doesn't really matter, does it? And... Um, 
I, I don't you. know where Thank that came from. That. I don't know where. I you, don't know. You did. The, I, I really. You didn't pick the third or fourth on your list there. No, I went big. Thank you for that. Yep. Should we? And if you still want to listen to this podcast and such an evil human being. You're who's not the evil. <laughs> You're not evil. I think it's, I actually think it's noble of you that you actually said something that was real mm-hmm. instead of saying that, you know. You're just something. I just don't cliche, think I have a Broadway a caliber singing voice. You know, I think that's pretty deplorable. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. more of a commercial singing voice and not a theatrical singing voice. I've got one more for you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's I do. Feel, it. I think let's that's enough it. about me being deplorable. Um, all right, Kate. What do you consider to be your greatest achievement? I saw this on the Prost list. And I, because we're asking questions from the Prost questionnaire. I didn't pick it because I was hopeful that it was a question that I could ask when I was older. I was worried that I, <laughs> it's hard when you're in, when I'm, I'm 36, it's hard to see anything as like an achievement, right? Because I feel like achievement is a word that you might use when you're older and you look back and you're, you have some distance so you can say, oh, okay, like, I accomplished that and I'm far away enough from it that I don't feel like I'm being Can I rephrase the question? Yes, please. Okay, let's make this a two-part question. What is, uh, you know, air quotes, uh, your most superficial achievement? Okay. And then what is your greatest emotional achievement in life? Okay. Um, I'm really proud from... from the superficial standpoint, yeah. I'm really proud of the book I put out last year, What Made Maddie Run. Like, I think it's a book that actually But even saying that out people. loud, it's not a superficial achievement. No, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a tangible thing that mm-hmm. I put into the world. Right. Um, and hopefully it helped in some way. And also, not to be ridiculous, but like, also like it, it helped my ego, right? Oh, and then... You know, this is one that I've never thought about, but the, asking this question actually really made me think about because I, I immediately I didn't want to say, well, I played college basketball or mm-hmm. I wrote a book, any of those. I wanted to really think of something that I care about. And what comes up for me when you say greatest achievement is my relationship with my family is really awesome. Mm. Like my relationship with my parents and with my sister and the people like who are in my life who what you didn't choose like I love them so much and we've been through certain things together where that relationship wasn't as strong as it was in other places but like right now as I sit here at age 36 like wow I've said my age a lot this episode I must be feeling weird about it because I just turned 36 and you're so excited to have me at your I talk to my dad and my mom every day and I love them and I love hearing from them and I love hanging out with them and I love my sister. And I feel like that all of that took a kind of work because you go through periods in your life where, you know, they frustrate you or you want to be out on your own. And now I sit here in a place where they're my, some of my favorite people in the world. And to have the benefit of getting to choose friends and choose a partner like you and then in addition, have your family be people that you really just think are kick ass it's, it's a cool feeling. I can validate that because I'm on the group Fagan Texts. Hell yeah, man. We come in hot. They, you they miss do. the group text, you come back, you got 72 text messages <laughs> missing. It is totally true. <laughs> All right, maybe we should get to Misty. All right. We are very excited to have Misty Copeland with us today. If you do not know Misty, she was the first African-American female principal dancer for the American Ballet 
theater. And she carved out some time for us. We are so lucky. All right, so now we are joined by Misty. Misty, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And in season one, we had a specific question that we like to ask our guests to just jump off. We're changing it for season two, and we're going to see how it goes. Okay. So <laughs> the thing we always talk about is, like, when we go out to dinner, like, there's always, like, little ideas that we're always discussing, as opposed to when you might do interviews, it's a lot more just like, well, how did you start ballet? Right. Or So... Really, we wanted to know, like, what's an idea that you've been chewing on lately that when you go out to dinner with you, you're with friends, like, you love to share it? Huh. Um, I'd say just the idea of being able to have the opportunity to bring ballet to more people, whether that's through film or TV. Like, that's something that I'm really interested in and in starting my own production company and um, being, like, an authentic voice to really share what the ballet culture is like. Yo, how do you envision when you say like bringing it more, I'm assuming more to the masses right? and through a production company, is it about commercials, like movies? How do you envision that? I'd say all of the above. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. What I've already started and through Under Armour and um, all of the amazing brands that I'm a part of, um, I feel like I've been an authentic voice and representation of what ballet is. And that's what I would like to continue with these other platforms um, so that I'm not asked the same question is you know black swan my life right, right, um, right. that it's a real true um just kind of depiction of what we face daily which is i think a very typical um life of an athlete which is grueling and a lot of sacrifice and dedication but it's also really warm and friendly and that's not usually how the ballet world is depicted can i jump in with one more on go this? for it okay, yeah quickly Kate's excited. <laughs> <laughs> because I would say from someone who didn't grow up with ballet, right. but more of the sports background, I, of course, would watch, I can't name them right now, like the two or three ballet movies that right. existed. And it was like either about Cutthroat, New York City exactly. School, or Black Swan. What about those is right and what is wrong about those? Um, definitely the the sacrifice and, and the passion and, um, you know, the ups and downs, that's right. But it's not as cutthroat as they make it out to be. And it's not as dark. And um, I think that women are much more powerful in the ballet world than people assume um, in the fact that we are the ballet. And that's very rare for a woman to experience in a career nowadays or ever. And so I feel like I want that to be like shown, like the importance of women in ballet. We were talking about this earlier today and about the concept of being a, a team player, like if you're on a basketball team mm -hmm. versus being a gymnast where you're on the team, but you're actually kind of competing against each right. other. What is it like in the ballet world where you're an ensemble and you're all working together, but obviously you all have, there's different tiers. Yeah. And so is it... Yeah, how does it play out? What's the competitiveness? Yeah, like, what's that like? I think it depends on the company and I've never danced um, in Russia um, and that seems scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or in Paris right. or, you know, in London. And I know that there's different dynamics depending on the company, but in America and in American ballet theater, um, it's definitely just like a more friendly environment. Like I've been dancing, you know, going to American ballet theater summer intensives since I was 16 years old and I've been in the company since I was 19. So I'm 35 now. So I grew up with these people. We travel the world together. We spend more time with each other than we do our own families. Mm -hmm. So it's not competitive in a way that 
people think it is. Um, I think that the competition is usually like very individual and very personal and with ourselves and just trying to prove ourselves to the artistic director. It's not that we're ever like put against each other to like audition for a part, but it's whether or not you are improving and then you're given the opportunity. How would you feel about dancing in Russia or in Paris? It's very interesting that you asked that. Because um, <laughs> I am. No, I'm going now. <laughs> no, no. News drop. No. <laughs> um, no, I've been reading um, the book of a colleague of mine, David Hallberg. Um, he has a book coming out. And um, he's the first American dancer to ever dance with the Bolshoi Ballet. And that's a huge deal. Now, he's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white man. And right. it's crazy that you know, it's such a big deal that he was the first, but, um, as a black woman, like, it's just, I can't imagine dancing in Russia. Like I can't imagine being accepted, which is horrible. Um, but I hope that at some point someone could break that barrier. I don't know if it's going to be me, but, um, it is, it is scary territory. Is it because in places like Russia and Paris, their vision of what it looks like is very set. Yes. Okay. That classic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they like ABT in particular, I think was one of the first companies to really step outside of the bounds of what the classical ballet realm, what you're supposed to do. Um, having that word theater in our name kind of opened the doors to um, more creativeness and choreographers that were willing to take risks and they're kind of still set in their ways um, it's very traditional and it's very closed and each of these countries feel like ballet is theirs, where, whether it's London or Paris mm-hmm. or um, Russia. And so it's just really hard to break that, that barrier of what they feel the ideal is for a dancer. Right. I also, um, can I call you bodacious? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I also, no, well, talking you can. about, well, seriously, <laughs> talking about the stereotypical ballerina, like Misty's, you know, I, you get it, girl. You know, like you got to get the, word the supportive, this decade, but the supportive like gear. And, yeah. and when you put on, not that I've worn a lot of leotards in my day, but it doesn't really do the best thing for, for the girls. They get a little smushed <laughs> and yeah. it's not really sexy. Yeah. And I know you, you're just nodding and laughing. But I, I know that you're doing a lot with your dance line yes. to try to create ballet gear that is meant for more body types and not just that stereotypical this is what a ballerina looks like I mean all of it goes hand in hand like the the gear that's offered and sold to dancers is limiting the people that are a part of it because they're only certain sizes Mm -hmm. and I don't think that's right or okay and it's very interesting because the like the number of people that are actually going to dance classes, um, it's very large, like the group of people in America, and they are over a size two. So it's like, where are they getting their dancewear from? And so I feel, just from my own experiences, like going through puberty as a professional and being a double D at one point and um, not having that that access to dancewear that was supportive and made me feel comfortable and beautiful Mm -hmm. and okay that I wasn't you know an a cup like I feel like everyone should have an opportunity to be a part of the ballet world so it seems like that's one variable at play when it comes to bringing ballet to the masses meaning that even the ability to buy the gear has been limited Mm -hmm. what are some other variables at play that have kept 
ballet more niche, even mm -hmm. though we all have a fascination with it to some degree, right. but it hasn't necessarily transcended to becoming part of like the popular activity. Right. What are the other variables at play? Um, it's just, it's so elite and the way that it's portrayed, like I'm forever grateful for Under Armour for um, inviting me to be a part of the team, but making that first commercial mm -hmm. um, with the I Will What I Want campaign and really giving an insider's like look into what it takes. Like I wasn't in a tutu. I was wearing, you know, underwear mm -hmm. and, and a, check and it a out if you haven't top. watched it. There's and like seven <laughs> people out there who haven't seen it That's yet. True. Those seven people should really <laughs> living under a rock, you're probably not listening <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> but to be able to be shown as an athlete but still see the beauty and grace, like that's not often um, shown to the wider like population. And so people just have this idea, especially as a minority, as a brown person, um, as someone who's not stick thin, you just have this idea as to what you have to be to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. You have to come from money. Um, you have to have been brought up in the ballet world. And so it's just not reaching the communities that I feel like should be a part of it. And, and going back to the commercial for a second, because the, that's how Misty and I originally met. We were both sponsored at Under Armour. And uh, God, that commercial... I, I'm curious, the origin of that, was that an idea that you came to Under Armour with or was that something that they approached you or do you feel like it was really a team effort because it was yeah. one of the most just in your face inspirational change your life what was it two minutes one right it, mm -hmm. yeah unbelievable I'd say that it ended up being like a collaboration um Droga had um a really beautiful idea of what they is wanted is that like an to, Under Armour um it's the the ad agency okay yeah. okay um, sorry. For listeners. Creative yes. people. <laughs> <laughs> they had just like this beautiful idea of having um, the voice of a young girl speaking over um, the commercial and um, kind of sharing a little bit of what my background was like, which was starting at a late age at 13, being a black woman, having been turned down from like professional ballet schools, which I think it was because of the color of my skin. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just such a strong message. But when it came to the dancing, um, it was a collaboration. Like I brought on a choreographer that I work with. Um, he's a principal dancer in American Rally Theater, Marcelo Gomez. Um, and it's, I mean, we've yeah, come You two are amazing together, by the way. I adore him so much. Yeah. But um, it was interesting just to see how much me and Under Armour have grown and how they trust me now. But in the beginning, it was like, we don't know. Was it an uphill battle is. with them? Um, no, I think just not being familiar with classical ballet sure. and with me. And um, we had one day to shoot it. I think I was leaving for Japan like the next day or something. Because that's tour. how you do. Yeah. <laughs> and so we literally were like, we have one day to shoot this commercial. And I was there for like 10 plus hours or something doing this. But um, we went back and forth for like a week or so, just sh showing them choreography. Like he would, Marcella would film me and they were like, oh, we don't know if that's right. And so we pretty much just got on the set and I like improved. Like we spent all this time in the studio creating choreography and I ended up just going out there and, and improvising. And um, it was a long day, but it was worth it. And what expectations did you have for 
at the it, commercial. Yeah, did you have any idea of the magnitude? Oh, no, um, I think I was just so overwhelmed with the opportunity, and I still am to this day. Like, I don't ever take anything for granted. Like, I'm so fortunate to be a ballet dancer and to represent ballet and to be a black woman and represent ballet. I remember walking onto the set and... I was just like in tears and I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Mm -hmm. Like it was just really incredible. So I, I didn't have really any expectations. Like I trust their brand and um, everything's so tasteful and powerful. So I was just like excited and then just stunned when I saw it. What was it like when you saw your first building size <laughs> I was picture so of yourself? <laughs> I think like I remember that, that on your Instagram. It was the cutest the, thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> that's like the only word I can really like use to describe. Like we had a little gathering, like my, my like close team of people and like my husband and like friends. And we showed up in, in front of the um, billboard and I was the first one to arrive and I was just embarrassed. <laughs> I was just like, oh my gosh, it's too big. Like this is crazy. It's <laughs> How... In the month since that ad came out, how did that change your life? Um, I feel like... Are we overstating how much it changed? No, it okay. absolutely did. Um, I think that it broadened people's minds and, and they wanted to come to the, to the ballet. Like, I feel like it made it more inviting mm -hmm. and inclusive. Um, it made it more attainable to them and like real. Like I wasn't just this like fairy, you know, princess on stage twirling around and it's for like elite white old people. Um, like the biggest response I got was from men that they really? like, yeah, like the respect that I had never received before. Oh, like viewing you as a An legit athlete. athlete. Yeah. 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 Uh, also, and Kate, I don't know if you know this, but did you know Misty has her own Barbie doll? No, I didn't know that. Firebird. Yeah. It's, I mean, Under Armour, Barbie. Barbie? <laughs> she has her own Barbie, okay? I was just like, wow, how do you top that? Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly, I didn't play with Barbies, but I can still respect. But if you had this Barbie, had you would have been like, this is legit. <laughs> I'm yeah, okay with this. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I definitely played with Barbies. Oh, um, me too. A lot. Did you have any of the glow-in-the-dark stuff? I didn't. Oh, no. I had the I canopy bed. There was a, okay, anyway. <laughs> it's I a had, separate interview. Yeah, no, I, yeah. And it's, yeah. Barbie has been um, such an icon and giving women or young girls an opportunity to dream of being anything. And so to be able to be a representation of a black ballerina through Barbie, I feel like it's Unbelievable. just giving young girls like something to strive for that they might not have thought they could be. Yeah. When you were talking about the origin of the I Will What I Want campaign, you mentioned that you felt as, as you were growing up in ballet, there were opportunities that you didn't get because mm -hmm. of the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. How did that impact your relationship with ballet? Um, it didn't really, which is so interesting. Um, I think also because I came into the ballet world like super naive. I had no knowledge of it at all and neither did my family. Like we just kind of jumped in like head first. And um, so were I was you just never... like, oh, ballet, I'm going to try it. No, um, I was loved, 12, 13. I was yeah. 13. Yeah. yeah, no, I loved dancing. Okay. Um, 
to like pop music and R&B and hip hop like in my room. Um, so I like had a love for moving. Um, and so I auditioned for the drill team at my middle school and I was like, this is it. Like my mom was a professional cheerleader for the Kansas City Chiefs. And by the way, I'm from Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, oh so Midwest connection. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Born in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and she so and my sister was on like this drill team at my middle school so I was like this is my path like this is what I'm gonna do and then the coach uh she was a ballet teacher and she trained as a classical dancer and other forms of dance um and was a professional for like most of her life and um she said I have a friend who's a local like she owns the local ballet school in San Pedro California where I grew up and she was like I really think you should um try taking it like you have like this natural instinct and you have the right body proportions. And um, so I went to the boys and girls club where I was already a member. uh, And I took this free ballet class on the basketball court. And she was like, (laughs) I'm a basketball player. So yeah. Uh, Okay. Now we're in my territory. I love basketball. And that was her billboard too. (laughs) on the basketball. Yeah. 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 Um, And I didn't really connect with it at first. I was just like, this is too foreign and weird and it's not the type of movement. I'm, I grew up watching on like BET and MTV. Right. Like, this is, <laughs> what is this? Um, and it, she finally convinced me to come to her school on full scholarship. And once I was like in the studio and like could see my reflection in the mirror is the first time I felt like accepted and beautiful, which is mm. interesting. But um, I was never told that there weren't a lot a lot of black women. So I was just in this bubble, like loving ballet and falling in love with it. And it wasn't until I became a professional that I realized that I was the only one, like in ABT for a decade, I was the only black woman. Um, And just learning about the history, it just really opened my eyes to um, just, I don't know, the fact that I might not reach my goals. And, but instead of being like afraid and wanting to run, like it made me push harder. Um, to like possibly be the one to change things and and um, change the opportunities for the next generation. So, with all this this pushing and this go 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 and this amazing drive that you have, and this might seem like a weird question, but do you still love ballet? Yes, I I've never met someone who continues to dance if they don't. Like, it's not something you just kind of walk in and and you can just be, like, you know, half... Right, it's such know, an impassioned yeah. Yeah. activity. Like, it's the commitment and the dedication and the physical abuse <laughs> we <laughs> endure, like, on our bodies. Like, there's no way you could do it and not yeah. love it. Like, we're in the studio from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Five days a week. We're in the theater from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m., like, if we're in season. So... Um, yeah, yeah, and I love it. You, you go. Well, have you wavered at all? Like, you do yeah. you ever have moments of I, I just can't, not, yeah. not one more. Please have not had one more plie. <laughs> I know, I'm like, what words do I know? <laughs> not one more plie. Not one more third position. It's <laughs> <laughs> better than me. Yeah, I think every dancer experiences yeah. that, and um, I don't know, just the the fear of performing. I think the older you get, the expectations and the judgment, the pressure, the pressure um, definitely like. Do you in mess a up? Ways, yeah. On stage, yeah. 
Absolutely. For real though? Yeah. Okay. But like I would, would forget <laughs> someone <stats> in <laughs> the audience have known or are you so when I fall? You know. Yes, they know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I know. But maybe I was like, oh, maybe this is a part of the movement right, no. where like, oh, it's so dramatic. <laughs> she falls and she slides back and she's like, yeah. No. <laughs> I'm always thinking of like what if. And I've been told by ballet mistresses, those are like our coaches, ballet masters and ballet mistresses. Wow. It's so old. Yeah. Um, so old school. But um, I've been told like you shouldn't have a backup plan. You should just strive to be perfect. Ugh. And in my mind, That's I'm so like, intense. I, so I, I think of the worst always. Like right. I, I'm like, if I, if I fall at this point, what will I do to recover? Right. And I feel like it's a good way of, of like approaching things yes. and well, towards that, that as well. That makes me curious because I'm always fascinated by athletes who don't have a ton of self-awareness on the field. Where mm -hmm. like they truly convey this sense that they feel like they live in the moment. Right. Which I was never like that as an athlete. I was always very aware of like who, who was watching, how right. I was playing, right. how it was being interpreted. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Um, I'm definitely in the moment. Like, okay. Absolutely. Um, but not to the point that I couldn't be pulled out of that mm -hmm. if, like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm aware of my, like, surroundings, but right. not not the audience. Yeah. I'm aware of what's going on on stage and the people around me. Yeah, what um, goes through your head during a performance? Um, it's changed a lot over the course of my career. Like, when I was in the corps de ballet, there, you know, you're standing on the sides and you create the atmosphere and you're dancing, um, you know, with everyone. And so you're supposed to all look the same and move together and breathe together. And um, there are moments on the stage where you're literally just standing still for, like, three, four minutes at a time. It's really painful and Jeez. I would th I would like sing I think at 19 I was singing like in sync songs in my head just <laughs> yeah. to like keep my mind I mean, off the pain or, or I mean, like I love them thinking of what I was gonna just, order yeah. for dinner <laughs> um but like you know the more um like bigger roles that I got like you have to be so in it and yeah. so focused um those like the times when you're not is when you like blink out and forget steps and you know weird things like that happen but um like the more that I've gotten the opportunities to do principal roles and um like the acting is much heavier it's um it's really exciting and it and it allows me to be even more present because you just believe you are these characters on stage in mm -hmm. the moment okay I'm gonna ask one more go for it because uh, I often find that if I've in, in my line of work, like asking questions or like doing stuff on TV, if I mess something up in one line, whether it's pronouncing someone's right. name, the next time I have to do something that's challenging, it, like I get a level of anxiety put right. on top of right. that. Mm -hmm. How does that work for you in ballet? Yeah. Like if there's a specific move that you, you know, know there's one move coming you up, have quote unquote yeah. struggled with, mm -hmm. how do you battle like the level of anxiety oh, that gets placed on that? Yeah. I can speak to this like very um, <laughs> specifically and clearly. Um, so Swan Lake is probably the most coveted role for a ballerina um, and the hardest in the repertoire. Um, and I was the first black woman to do that role at American Ballet Theater and in a major elite ballet company. Um, so the pressure was high and I've never been like my strength was not turning um and fuete turns are kind of like uh, is that fast it sounds like it should be fast. it's something that's repetitive you do 32 mm -hmm. of them in a row Sweet. and it's at the end Lock. of you know a, you know like a 
it's a four act ballet swan lake but it's yeah. at the end of the third act so you've already danced like a lot and yeah. you're exhausted um and it's just never been like a strength of mine and it's interesting because there have been so many ballerinas throughout history who are known for that role that could never get through the 32 fuetes but really? they, what do you do well, I tried my best, and okay. I and are you did counting as many, in your head. You're like one, two, three, um, four. No, I, I mean, just know musically like okay, when okay, I need okay. to end, so I'm not like <laughs> counting them. But um, it's just been a struggle of mine, and it's been literally written about in every major um, newspaper, and like talked about online and in blogs. Like, Can I'm coming she to the this? performance. Like, is she gonna do her 32 fates? And it's just. I mean, I've had to see like sports psych psychologists to deal with 32 fuetes because it just becomes bigger than it should be. And yeah. I've come to terms with like, I'm a performer and it should be about how you make people feel like mm -hmm. it's not. I mean, the people that want to come and just see someone perform 32 fuetes, like I feel like they're in the wrong place. Like Absolutely. go watch a competition and see gymnastics or something where you're going to see like the score. But the 32 Fuetes is there because you're trying to like entrance and um, win over this prince by doing something that's kind of making his mind like, mm. you know, like, oh, my God. I, like I, hypnotizing? Yeah, like okay. hypnotizing like the, him. Like the swan fluffing your right. feathers. Yeah. And, and that's that's the point of the choreography is <laughs> right. to like, you know, create this illusion. And so I feel like that's what I'm thinking about, like creating, allowing the audience to really understand what it is I'm doing and why I'm doing it, that I'm not just going out there and like performing this trick to yeah. impress the And so much expression on your face too, right? right? I mean, obviously very much the body, but it's, it's everything. Yeah. In, would it make more sense, uh, not for you, well, how's my question go here? Hmm, let's try. <laughs> 32 foot days. <laughs> like in the, I try to relate things to things I know. Like in the gym, they always say, if you can't do 12 really well, mm -hmm. do eight really well. Right. For you in that moment, it's like if you're creating that energy, you don't want to count. You're like, I'm just going to do as many as, many as, as well as I yes, can where absolutely. I feel like I'm creating the energy. Yes. And let them talk about the fact that right. I only did 29 or exactly. something. Okay. Yes. I got it. I do that. And then, like, I shock myself sometimes in the moment where, like, um, I've been told by, like, my ballet mistress that... Um, She's like this little Russian woman. I love her to death, Irina Popakova. And she's like, if you don't finish, just do a jeté. And I'm like, Irina, <laughs> I am so exhausted. There's no way I'm going to do a jeté at the end of Which 29 fuetes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And on stage, I yeah. do it sometimes yeah. where I'm just like, there's more music. Yeah, jeté. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say everything that's that what amazing. Gonna, that's going to be my audience. solution to anything. Kate, jeté. Jeté. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have time for one more. Do you have one? We do. Well, yeah. do we ask the really, really important question? Oh. Oh, uh -oh. yeah, we have to ask the really important <laughs> question. The most important question we can yeah. ask you, Misty <gasps> Copeland. Uh-oh. What is your favorite cookie? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Peanut butter. Yes! Ooh. <laughs> That's on the standard cookie list. It's a fantastic cookie. Peanut butter with sea salt or like, you know. No, I like straight peanut butter. Straight? Oh, okay. that's a She's fantastic a classic. cookie. Yeah. That's the first peanut butter, I believe, that any guest. Really? Peanut butter yeah. is the first time we've heard as our favorite cookie. I'm not a big chocolate fan. So. I don't love yeah. chocolate either. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand <laughs> you people. <laughs> yes, peanut butter. I do that's understand. Why. You know what's even better than peanut butter? Huh. Peanut butter with chocolate. Oh. <laughs> no, it takes away from the, the peanut butter. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Misty, we love you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you.
listening to episode two of season two, and AKA if you didn't, last week, get on it, get on it. But we talked about misgendering, which led to haircuts, which led to the memory of me when I think I was in middle school when I cut my hair short, a la Meg Ryan. You, and you mentioned that in the in podcast, yes. Bringing it all back. It's all coming back Well, you back mentioned you've got mail, but I won't go down that path again. Yeah, okay. let's not. Let's not. So I, I called. Oh, no, I actually didn't call. I texted my mom the other day, and I said, hey, mom, do you have any photos of me when I had my Meg Ryan haircut? And uh, I, I don't have to worry. Mom, like, never listens to this podcast. Oh, whatever. damn. Like, you're going to burn her. That's a slam. That's savage. She's going to listen to this episode, and she's going to call you in tears. Oh, please. My mom is so tough. So she responded with, you know how I feel about short hair. <laughs> I know, which I came back hot and I was like, you can take those freaking judgment panties off because I'm not cutting my hair. I'm just looking for a photo to share for free cookies. Yeah, how and it hot started are you whole... when you're using the word panties though? <laughs> I mean, you're not, how hot are you really coming in when you say judgment panties? Well, when I say take them off. Oh, that's true. All right. That's risque. So that started something between us just because, I mean, she called, she tried to continue the joke, but then she realized it really pissed me off and then started apologizing and went on to say, you just, you, you just look so beautiful with long hair to which I quipped back immediately. And I look really beautiful with short hair too. Oh, of course, Boom. of course. But you just, but, but not as hot as you do with <laughs> long hair. What I'm really hair. trying to say is, oh God, <laughs> don't do that. So, so that led to your mom, I think in an effort at reconcilia- reconciliation, that's the word I'm looking for, mm-hmm. almost like an olive branch, a peace offering. How many other metaphors can I come up with? She came over and she brought tubs of old, literally, like plastic tubs of old Catherine Beauty. Printed out pictures. Photographs. In which, well, <laughs> our, our goal was to find the Meg Ryan which haircut. Still searching. Still searching. Once we find it, it'll be up on Instagram. But within this plastic tub of Catherine beauty memorabilia why do you always say my last name because it's funny and i want people to learn how to pronounce it oh thank you so i found what i hold right now in my hands which is a tiny pink diary with (laughs) ballerina perfect actually for this episode i didn't even know that dancing bears now within some of the paper is blue and it has a lock on it it's not necessarily all like hardcore pink and you approved me doing this. Let's just say that this is not an invasion of your privacy. Only because I think the oldest I get in this diary is 10? 12. Whatever. But I want to warm people up. June 7th, 1989. The first entry in Catherine's, Catherine's Diary Diary, <laughs> according <laughs> to the description. In case you're confused on what you're reading. <laughs> on the left. The first entry... You are, actually, you just turned seven years old. Okay. Today. Sophistication. Well, it says June 7th, but your birthday is June 2nd. But you said today it was my birthday. Maybe it was my birthday party. Maybe it was, but you should be more descriptive in your writing. Okay. Today it was my birthday. It was very fun. And I had at my birthday, decent sentence, Molly, Anya, Paige, Lynn, Molly, Kathy, Nicole, and me. You were there. It was very fun. And the cat had fun, too. <laughs> Sadly, I think two only has one O. Okay. So just that, that's what we're working with here. But now, I mean, that was 89. Mm-hmm. And now here's an entry because I flipped through and I wanted to pick some that I cared about. 
This is an entry from 1993. Mm -hmm. And this actually answered a lot from me. It's from June 19th, 1993. And just to let our listeners know, over the last couple of weeks, every single time the Jurassic Park preview has come on for the new one with Chris Pratt, Catherine has lost her shit. <laughs> like, to the point where I'm like, yeah, you're right. Jurassic Park was a fabulous movie. It's the best it truly, movie. It ages well. It does. But this answers some Come of it. Come at us if you don't agree. So, June 19th, 1993. I hate this pen. <laughs> I didn't write yesterday because we got to the house in Vermont at midnight. Yesterday, I saw Jurassic Park underlined. It is so... Good. I journaled about it. Today we went shopping. MF, your sister, bought out the whole town. <laughs> John, it's hard to read your writing. John was bored. I got a shirt and mom tried on a million outfits. We had Ben and Jerry's ice cream and watched A River Runs Through It. Oh. Boom. Jurassic miss- Park and Brad Pitt all I- in 24 wait, hours. Wait, because this is a reoccurring theme. I miss MOC. Matthew, love you forever. (laughs) Anyway, so River Runs Through It, fabulous movie. Now, I just want to pinpoint that the week before you wrote, it was a nice day. I bought a tennis skirt, biking pants, and a Jurassic Park poster. (laughs) I love Matt so much, I miss him, Matthew Hart. So clearly, this Jurassic Park thing started when you were very young. June 20th, 1993. In, in those letters, those like kind of balloon letters that you do when you're 12? Yeah. You, you wrote, bulls rule. And then you drew a bull. They won it all. High five. You were super sportsy. <laughs> I was so sporty. I want to remind you that on June Did 20th, I talk about Matt Collins and how it, much I loved him? You did. It's been a great vacation. I miss MDC. Did I in cursive write Catherine Collins, Catherine Collins, Catherine Collins? Matthew Hart. All right. I won't, I, look, I won't drag this out forever, but I do want to take you to the final two entries. Okay. I'm captivated. Captivated. June 26, 1993. What was she saying? Today, I went to Molly's. Then I went to Carrie's. I wonder if Matt likes me. <laughs> oh, my God. I know he knows I do. Help. Matthew Hart. Okay. Your next entry, April 28th, 1994. I will flag for people that that's almost 10 months later. What's up? Clearly, you've matured a little bit. I'm very confident now. Can you see I've not written in a while? Update! I'm in sixth grade going out with Michael McQueary. (laughs) Boom! McQueenie. 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 So look, look, that's just a little, I mean, maybe that's more entertaining for me than for you. Yeah, we'll we'll see if anyone finished that segment. (laughs) If people like that, if people like that Catherine's Diary segment, there is plenty more. You'll find it at freecookiespodcast.com. All right. Free Cookies is brought to you by us. Us. How exciting. And the amazing Lindsay Collins is our producer. I'm going to leave my diary with her so she has something good to read tonight. She's a host on the awesome podcast FNB Radio. So go over there, subscribe, rate, and review. Check out her podcast. And if you've got any love notes, hate notes. And don't forget to send us your questions, too, because we might actually tackle them on air. And don't send us hate notes, because those are mean, and nobody should use that word or actually send out You know what that is? Vibes. It is a deplorable trait. Freecookiespodcast at gmail.com. And rate and review the show pretty, 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 please. That's funny. We actually already said that, so we really want you to do that. So until next week. Peace out, homies. Ta-ta.